Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thirtieth of March, twenty twenty-two. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Even if you're not listening to it in the morning, maybe you're listening on the app or you're listening um, to the podcast. Um, welcome. Thank you so much for including me in your day. It is Wednesday. Whew. All right, we made it to the middle of the week. I don't know if, if you consider like Wednesday the 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 uphill, like it's positive, like you're moving toward the weekend, or if you're just trying to get over the hump of the middle of the week, like people have different perceptions, even of hump day. So there you go. We don't, we don't yet agree on everything. Uh, It's probably a good reminder uh, to start right there. We don't all agree on everything. And you know what? That's okay. Um, So how would you know if you had all of the information to which you were entitled um, in order to clarify the truth of the matter? Like, how would you know? Do you, I mean, we talk about God having given us everything that is necessary for, for faith and for believing in Christ and for uh, understanding what must be understood. Like, what we have in Scripture is sufficient, fully sufficient. Um, and, and John admits, you know, if everything that could have been written down about Jesus had been written down— I mean, the world wouldn't even be big enough to contain all the books that would have to be written. So we as Christians, you know, we're not entitled to a a moment-by-moment accounting of the events of the life of Jesus. We just don't have that. That'd be nice to have, but we just don't have that. I mean, as I think back, I'd love to have like an, an actual like verbatim record of what Jesus said to the guys on the walk to Emmaus. Like, <laughs> I'd love to have that. I'd love to hear Jesus um sharing every passage in the Old Testament that reveals him, you know, how it all points to him. Like, I'd love to have that. That'd be so cool. I'd love to have the uh, the verbatim account of the conversation that took place on the mountain of transfiguration, right? Um, when Moses and Elijah appear to him and they have a conversation about what's what lies ahead. Like, they have a conversation about the passion of the Christ. They have a conversation. We just don't have the conversation. There's a gap, in the record. Well, there's a seven hour gap in the call logs supplied by President Trump to the committee investigating the events of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Seven hours. Seven hours is a long time unless you're sleeping. Seven hours is a very long time in a day like January 6th. Transparency and honesty matters. And we, the people, actually do have a right to know. We have a right to know. Prior to the administration of President Nixon, the correspondence and communication, the comings and the goings of the president were actually considered his own. They were considered um, the property of the president. But after Nixon, it literally, it literally all belongs to we, the people of the United States. Every scrap of paper on which the president jots a note, every call he makes or receives, every moment of his day chronicled in the presidential diary. 
12 pages of which are missing from the disclosures supplied to the committee investigating the events of January 6th. Now, that's a lot of missing pages, and seven hours is a long gap in a call log. There may be absolutely nothing wrong with any of it, but a records gap of any length looks bad. Looks bad. If you've got nothing to hide, then why hide? Why hide who you spoke with for how long you spoke and about what? And you say it's a matter of national security, and I say fine. Um, you still have to disclose it when asked by the January 6th committee. Here I would bring to bear uh, Luke chapter 8, where Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. Pull it out and put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. So take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even that, even what he thinks he has, is going to be taken away. Let's be people of the light today. Let's uh, shine light and let's be shiny lights, giving glory always and in all ways to the Lord our God. All right, Daryl Crouch joins us next. We are going to talk about how it is that Jesus reveals the Father. How does that happen? How does that work? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. Pastor, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you. Good morning. You. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to talk with you. So we um, we have been talking a lot at our house about how how does Jesus make the Father known? Jesus says he makes the Father known. Jesus actually, my husband's language here, exegetes the Father. So how does that work? Um, what are some passages of Scripture that help us see and understand what that means? Yeah, that's a great—first of all, that's a great conversation around the dinner table, Carmen. Y'all are, y'all are going all in, and um, I think it's incredibly healthy to have those kinds of conversations that we, as we try to walk out what our faith means to us uh, in a personal way. And, and I think one of the things that's helpful to me is to know that—and to be reminded again that my faith is very personal— and uh, not in the sense that it's just mine, but it's it's um, my faith is placed in a person whose name is Jesus. And uh, he is um, uh, fully God and fully man. And uh, he um, uh, cares about us and he's involved in our lives. And uh, he is a person. We used to sing the, the song in the garden, you know, he walks with me and he talks with me. And, um, and I, I think it's important that we understand that our faith is not a, just sim- simply a system of beliefs or an orthodoxy, which is super important, but it's not simply a, a cultural uh, conviction about certain things. Uh, our faith is in a person whose name is Jesus. And as we think about uh, what it means to, um, um, to know God, uh, that begins with knowing Jesus. And so in our cultural moment, and maybe for a long time, I'm sure, a lot of people talk about God 
refer to God, um, have this idea that there is a God. And many times, I think, if, if pressed, uh, we would discover that, that those folks are creating God kind of in their own image or in the figment of their imagination or what they think God might be like. But uh, thankfully, by His grace, we know who God is by His Son. And uh, I think uh, you talk about a, a scripture passage. John 14 is, is obviously just incredibly powerful. And uh, that entire chapter, and uh, I remember a long time ago, I, uh, a long, long time ago, I preached this message um, uh, from John uh, 14. And uh, from verse 9, Jesus said, have, have I been among you all this time, and you did not know me, Philip? I mean, Thomas gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas, but um, I think we all relate to Thomas, but I think we can all relate to Philip. Um, how long have we been together and you still don't know me? And so we, we come to know God by knowing the person of Jesus. That is so helpful. Um, I, um, the next conversation that we're going to have here this morning is, um, is with Kelsey, Kelsey Dallas, and we're going to look at some research nationally that that just reveals that just a whole lot of people in America pray, a whole lot of America, I mean, a whole a high percentage of Americans say they pray, but a really low percentage of Americans um, are affiliated identifiably as Christians, like in a Christian community, actively engaged um, in, in a way that historically would be recognized as practicing the faith um, once delivered. Sure. And so um, I'm, I'm trying to connect these two conversations in my head already, and I'm asking of those people who are praying, to whom are they praying, and what is their expectation? I mean, that just seems like this knowledge of who God is um, is absolutely essential if I'm going to be talking to him. And I imagine absolutely. he's going to be listening. Yeah, yeah, and I know it may be splitting hairs sometimes, but I, I see billboards on churches and or uh, you know church signs, and and I see coffee mug slogans about prayer changing things, and and I think I know the the the, the intent behind that maybe, but but prayer really doesn't change anything. God changes things as He responds to people who pray to Him, and um, I think uh, prayer can be um, a, a kind of a therapeutic um, exercise for many people who may believe in some kind of higher power or deity, but that, but that kind of prayer really doesn't, it, it may soothe our, our conscience at some level. There may be some sort of um, psychological effect that that has that's helpful to help people um, uh, slow down for a minute or whatever. But uh, belief, we don't believe in belief. We believe, and as you said, uh, a historical Christianity rooted in the person and work of Jesus. This is very personal. This isn't theoretical or philosophical or metaphysical. It's, this is, a, this is a, a, um, a, a very up-close and personal relationship with a holy God who has made himself known in the incarnate Son of God, whose name is Jesus, who lived um, 2,000 years ago, who uh, stood before Pontius Pilate uh, and was uh, condemned to die for uh, sins he did not commit, uh, to be our substitute. And, and this, is the, this is the man who died in my place and for my sins and was buried and raised on the third day. And uh, he lives today. And uh, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, and by his spirit, he abides in us. And so this is a, 
our faith is incredibly personal, uh, and we we come to walk out our faith and know a holy God, a Creator God, uh, as we know Jesus, as revealed to us in Scripture. And so um, we can, if we're not careful, deify Scripture as well in good motives that uh, we want to exalt the inerrancy of Scripture, which we should. But uh, the purpose of Scripture is to uh, pull back the curtain and reveal um, Jesus, the Son. We're talking about revelation. We're talking about how we know what we know, how we know the reality of who God is, the grace of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, we're talking about how we know God. It's, it's the basis not only of our faith and life and our hope, but our prayers as well. Continuing this conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch in just a moment. You're listening to Mo- Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Send down your glory. I want to see your face. Um, Jesus makes the Father known. He reveals who God is in a way that we as human beings can perceive, receive, understand, relate to. That's the purpose of the incarnation, um, that becoming like us, we might understand um, that it's possible for a human being to relate to the almighty Sovereign, glorious. Now the li- the list here could be really, really long. So I will just say, mm-hmm. eternal, everlasting God. Daryl Crouch and I are talking about how it is that Jesus makes the Father known. It's something that Jesus says about Himself. Uh, John um, repeats the declaration in his Gospel. Jesus makes the Father known. Um, what you think you know about God, you know from somewhere. Um, and we as Christians receive the revelation of God in. Um, in the testimony of the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Um, But those testify to Jesus. Like, we have the Bible as revelation testifying to Jesus. So, Daryl, maybe we could talk about that. What's the relationship of Jesus to the Bible? Because there's people who will say, you know, well, I believe in Jesus. I receive Jesus. Mm -hmm. But they don't necessarily um, believe the Bible in all of its parts and pieces. Yeah, and I think there's a that's a great question and an important one. Uh, I, we don't really know God. We don't really know Jesus apart from the revelation of Scripture. And so how we approach the Scripture really um, uh, influences, affects, determines how we see God and know Him and ultimately come to redeeming faith in Jesus uh, who would reconcile us to a holy God. And all of Scripture bears witness to the the finished work of Jesus, the person of Jesus and His work. Uh, all of um, all of Scripture is intended to do that. I was having a conversation talking about it around the dinner table, but uh, having a conversation with my daughter a few days ago, and we were talking about David and Goliath and that story that was um, illustrated in her small group uh, class and uh, earlier that week. And and uh, I understand that that David had courage and that there's so much to emulate about his, his courage before Goliath. But uh, the, the Scripture is, is uh, pointing us to a, a, a greater a Redeemer to come, and that David re, uh, rescued God's people, and uh, just as uh, Jesus rescues us. And so David, in a sense, was a, uh, was a, a prototype. He was a, um, a forerunner of the Messiah who would ultimately come. And we see that later revealed in the scriptures through 
the Psalms and other things as, as uh, Jesus now sits on the, at the throne of David. And, and so I think uh, it's important that we read the scriptures with this understanding that from the Old Testament toward the cross and even in the New Testament back to Calvary's cross, that all of it is a uh, is a re- revelation of the finished work of Jesus and and who He is as He revealed the Father. And uh, if we approach the Bible as a handbook for living, which there are so many ways that we, you know, obviously helps us to understand how to live out our faith. And there's an ethic involved in the law of God and so on. Proverbs are wonderful uh, pieces of wisdom, but even Proverbs, uh, the wisdom that we long for is only found in Christ and uh, he is our wisdom. And so um, even in this passage in John 14, um, uh, early on, Jesus is giving them uh, his disciples comfort. And Thomas says, we we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Uh, You don't know the father except through me. So all of scripture is bearing witness to this incredible declaration of who Jesus is. And as we read the scripture with, uh, with uh, uh, that in mind, we can come to know him uh, in, in, intimately and personally and um, uh, see how an eternal God made himself known. So when we talk about John chapter 14, and I do think that, um, you know, I want to read John chapter 14. I want to read it in conversation with the, the, the prologue in John chapter 1, mm-hmm. I want to see Jesus, right? I mean, that's what John, that's what the writer wants me to see. And so I want to see Jesus. Um, I think a lot of people read, read those words from John chapter 14 about Jesus being, you know, the way to the Father, the way and the truth of the life, the only way to the Father. And they really just think that that's just like the key opening the door to my eternal hope. That's yeah. it. That's all he is. Jesus is the way to the Father, um, he's the way I get in. He's my, you know, all access pass. Um, yeah. Jesus, it, Jesus should not be reduced to, you know, a key that opens the door for me to get to heaven. Like he is the co-eternal uh, member of the Trinity. I mean, he's not to be trifled with or reduced to something that I use to get my way to heaven. Absolutely. And he made that clear throughout the book of John, uh, the gospel of John, uh, through his I am statements. Uh, Everyone around him knew what he was what he was saying. Anybody that knew the Bible and knew the Old Testament and knew uh, God's declaration uh, to Moses. And um, he's making these statements that I am the eternal God. And what you when you see me, you see the father. Uh, This is the reason that he was crucified. Not because he was a pragmatic key, as you say, that opens the door or a pathway uh, to um, into into eternal bliss. Uh, it, he is the redeeming, eternal King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and uh, he identified himself um, as intimately as he possibly could with the Father, and um, and so yeah, this this idea that Jesus is a pragmatic. Um, uh, a key, as you say, but this this um, a trick that we play to uh, to get our way, a uh, formula for us. We pray in Jesus' name as if as if that's some sort of magic uh, word that gets the Father to do stuff for us. Um, uh, Jesus uh, is co-eternal with the Father. He is. Uh, we read in Colossians that 
Uh, things were, everything that is made is made by the power of his might. Uh, he was in the beginning and uh, from the beginning. And so um, exalting him in that way in our hearts uh, affects the way that we live out our faith and uh, represent him in the world. Mm, it's so good. It's so good. Daryl, as always, thank you so very much for helping us move from you know, receiving the living word of God to actually living out the word of God. Daryl Crouch, you can find him at Everyone's Wilson. You can also find him on Substack.com. Uh, he blogs there, Daryl Crouch. Daryl, as always, thank you so much, brother. So, so good to be with you. Have a great day. So good. You too. We'll be right back. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge on the Faith Radio Network. I'm thrilled to be spending this time with you. Thank you so very much for the honor of your time. Um, I know it's valuable. I know it's precious. I know you're not getting a second or a minute of it back. So using it well is important. I want to use our time together to glorify God, to make Jesus famous, to extend the gospel always and in all ways, to um, encourage each other. Um, you are an encouragement to me. Um, I hope I am an encouragement to you. I trust it works that way. Uh, and I, I want to encourage us. I want us to be mutually encouraged today in the faith that we would let our light so shine before others that they would see us as living demonstrations of the gospel, that that we would illuminate something um, in current reality that makes people curious about the eternal reality of God. That we would be um, unsatisfied, uh, that we would be, frankly, just kind of mad that there are people we're going to meet today who are going to spend eternity in hell apart from God, that our hearts would burn with eager longing for their redemption, that we would be unsatisfied that uh, people who we regard as enemies in this life, which, first of all, Christ calls us to pray for them. Why does he do that? Because God wants all of them. All of them. You may not want all of them. You might look around and say, I don't actually want to spend eternity with those people over there with whom I disagree about such and such, this, that, or the other. Um, that's not the heart of God for those people. God wants them all. And if you sincerely believe, you know what, those are those people over there, whoever they are, however you're identifying the them, um, those people over there, they're already given over. They're already, um, you know, they're they're already lost. I can I I'm sure of it. I'm sure those people are lost. Those people are you know they're they're not going to be saved. Those people are going to hell, and I'm 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 kind of happy about it because you know let them burn. Um, that's not the heart of God either. That is not the heart of God. So let's check ourselves today. Let, let's check ourselves and our spirits today um, when we are tempted to wish other people would spend eternity apart from God. If they don't know him yet, if they don't know him now, they're, they're already in, in, in a terrible state, in a horrible circumstance that I don't wish upon anyone. I want people to know the God I know in the way that I know him. It's the only way to know him, and it's through the grace of Jesus Christ and the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like, I want everybody to be a Christian. Everybody. So, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? What does that even mean? How would you go about describing your relationship with God the Father 
through the Son by the power of the Spirit. How would you describe your relationship with God? Relationship. What constitutes a relationship? How do you know that you have one? How do you know that it's with God the Father? Describe your relationship with God. Where in his word are you today? Where, where and how are you an active and integral, integral part of the body of Christ in the world today? What constitutes your prayer life, your life of worship? Where do you get your moral guidance? How do you use your resources? How does your faith affect the way you actually live and move and find your being? That's actually the context of the conversation we're about to have with Kelsey Davis um, from the Deseret News. Um, Organized religion is in decline. New research shows that faith still plays a powerful unifying role in American life, but um, the future is not bright unless God uh, sends an active wave of revival. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dallas is a religion news reporter. She uh, she writes at a various uh, at various locations, but we're going to visit with her today at Deseret.com. We are looking at a piece that Kelsey wrote in relationship to research, uh, new research that's been done. The article I'm looking at is the state of faith. Kelsey, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me, Carmen. All right. So tell us about the underlying research and, and maybe the, um, the top line findings that, uh, that have really spurred conversation. So this research, like many recent religion surveys, confirms that we're seeing a fall away from organized religion in the United States. So fewer people are attending church every week. Fewer people are praying every day. However, the finding that we really wanted to emphasize in this story is that there is still a a very large group of Americans who is interested in religion, who thinks of themselves as spiritual, and who is longing for the type of community that uh, faith groups can provide. And so instead of really emphasizing the drop-off in organized religion, we tried to turn and focus on what religious interest is still out there and perhaps how churches and other houses of worship can respond to that. When when I was reading this, uh, particularly, you know, the, the notes that you're making about people really are spiritually interested. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 came to mind that, you know, God's made everything beautiful in its time and he has set eternity in the human heart. Um, and so I think that it shouldn't surprise us that people are spiritually interested um, and I feel like, you know, as an outcome of of this research, those of us who are people of faith have an opportunity to turn to people who are not um, currently practicing or, you know, describe themselves as nuns, um, you know, for us to turn to them and say, hey, you know, let me let me tell you about the hope that's within me. Like people are spiritually interested and they certainly are searching for hope. Yeah, I think that that's an important point where it says, wh- 
what do you do with this data as someone who is a pastor or some member of a faith community that is really interested in attracting new members? I think it's it's interesting that you talk about hope because that's really what I was thinking about too. You might be feeling burnt out, especially after the pandemic where it was really difficult to meet with anyone, let alone bring in new members. But I think this data says it you shouldn't give up like there's there's people out there they may not realize that they're seeking a religious connection but they do realize that they're feeling lonely that they're looking for community and so there are churches that can really emphasize that community aspect of their organization I'd love to talk with you. And again, uh, we're talking with Kelsey Dallas. You can find what we're talking about um, at Deseret.com. Um, there's actually now several pieces posted in relationship to this research. I'm looking at the one entitled The State of Faith. It's also going to appear in the April issue of the Deseret magazine. Um, uh, Kelsey, when you um, when you think about what you learned in doing this. Like, I mean, there's still an extraordinary percentage of people in America who say they pray. I will confess to you that then as I read uh, more into the research, I'm asking myself, to whom are they praying? Like, what do they think that's about? If they don't believe in the existence of God, and they certainly don't have a relationship with a personal God, like, but a high percentage are praying, like, well, what's going on there? Yes, I think that the prayer data just shows how, although religion in America is shifting, it is still um, an extraordinarily part of American life. So our data um, shows that more than half of Americans, 53%, say that they pray daily, an additional 12% say that they pray weekly. And if you go all the way down to the group that says they don't pray at all, it's 22%. Um, so you're right. It's sort of like, okay, there's a lot of people praying, but if there's not a lot of people attending church or really actively identifying with a faith group, what is that about? So I think if we were flies on the wall with some of this prayer, um, they're obviously not all the same. <laughs> there are people who are just using it as a meditative time or reflective time, but still think of it as prayer. But I I would imagine that if you're a religious leader or you're part of a faith group, that would still be a great opportunity to talk to someone and say, hey, you do have this time for meditation in your day. You do care a lot about this moment of prayer. Um, How can I talk to you about that? I pray too. So it's this opportunity for connection between people who regularly attend a house of worship and those who don't attend but do have these religious or spiritual practices in their lives. So I'd love to talk with you about two topics. One is um, the generational shift, like what's coming? Because if we think churches are empty now, um, the forecast here is not good, Um, just in terms of of the trend and the direction. So I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about community and people's acknowledged need for it and and how that might um, be a part of this conversation as well. So let's start with the What did um, the survey reveal in terms of generation to generation? So basically on every measure of religiosity, the, the prayer, the religious attendance, even describing oneself as spiritual, younger Americans were lower than those older than, than themselves. And I, I spoke to one of the researchers from the Marist poll 
And he said that he was struck by that spirituality question because for a while there was this assumption that even if young people weren't engaged with faith communities, weren't doing traditionally religious activities, they were still sort of interested in religion and spirituality and they might claim that label of spiritual. But this data is showing that Again, there's a chunk of young people who describe themselves as spiritual, but it's not as many of as there are older people who think of themselves as spiritual. And so it just shows that young people are really dropping out of, of both organized religion and a lot of just general religious activities. And it, it gets tricky to bring them into churches, to bring them into religious communities, because oftentimes they weren't raised with any sort of regular religious practice. And so even if they might feel some sort of longing or especially when they get married or have kids and they sort of feel like, oh, this feels like a piece of my life that I'd like to have my kids involved in, they don't know where to go because if you have no foundation, then um, there, there's nowhere to return to. You're sort of starting from scratch. And I said that um, in the story, in general, if you're feeling a sense of longing for community, people, even those that were raised in church, aren't sure what to make of the opportunity to go back to church because in recent years, I think that organized religion has really struggled with a bad reputation. Um, there's been scandals related to the church. There's just been a general, um, maybe negative wave of press about churches. And so one of the, one of the points I was making in this article is just that there are uh, positive opportunities that come from being in touch with the church that you can have help when you're sick or have someone bring meals to you when you bring a new baby home. That It's sort of like a built-in community that you can tap into at a house of worship. I think um, highlighting the positive impact that churches have on communities, I think figuring out ways for churches to get their own better press, um, I think that all of that should be part of um, what, you know, people who are listening right now and are involved in local congregations, um, you know, they ought to be having those conversations with their pastor. Like, how could we get some better press? How could we communicate to our community what would be lost if this, if this local church disappears? You know, they're going to lose child care. They're going to lo- lose a non-governmental school. They're going to they're lose the place where we stage for disaster response in our community. They're going to lose um, they're going to lose the recovery groups that meet here. They're going to um, they're going to lose an access point for uh, community resources. They're going to lose the place where they like to get married and where they come when grief strikes. Like I think that we have to find a way as Christians. Um, and I know this is commentary, Kelsey, so you're probably not going to comment on it as a journalist. But um, I think we have to find better ways for Christians and churches in local communities to to highlight the good and positive, um, the the good value of churches in communities, because they are going to disappear, and that is going to have real negative impacts in those communities. Right. I meant to add about young adults that this isn't just about a discomfort with religion. It goes beyond that, where uh, in general, our community ties are weakening, weakening in the United mm. States. That Uh, People may have a very close relationship with their family, but they're not doing like a neighborhood barbecue or a neighborhood parade. Like 
this really is a crisis moment when it comes to um, what ties us together to other people. And so I, I thought of this story as kind of a call to action that was like, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling dissatisfied, the time is now to start drawing closer to your neighbors and finding ways to really find social connections that you're craving. Mm, That's so good. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Kelsey Dallas. You can read um, what we're discussing today at Deseret.com. You can also have access there to the underlying research that we are discussing um, that was uh, done by Deseret and Marist. We are uh, talking about the state of faith in America. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Kelsey Dallas from the Deseret News. You can read uh, more of what we're talking about today at Deseret.com. Let's talk, uh, Kelsey, about, um, uh, again, about the numbers in front of us. I don't know. Are there there particular points in this that I have missed or failed to highlight that you say to yourself, Carmen should be asking me about this? Well, one of the things that I was really struck by, and I continue to just, the number pops in my head from time to time, and I'm shocked, is that there is a very high percentage of Americans who say that the country would be better off if we prayed for one another. And then there's also a high percentage that believe that religion um, brings people together more than it drives a wedge between them. So Speaking of sort of what we think about when we think about press coverage of organized religion, I feel like there's often coverage of tension between different faith groups of even outright conflict and how religious difference can really lead to negative consequences. But it seems like for the most part, U.S. adults understand that religion has this unifying power and they continue to believe that even if they aren't engaged in a house of worship themselves. Yeah, that they, I liked this. Uh, so if we were asked, is it hard for people who don't believe in God and people who believe in God to get along? Uh, actually, uh, an overwhelming uh, percentage of Americans say, no, it's not hard. That's not hard. It's not hard for people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God to get along. And I think that that's based on the fact that they live in the same house. Like, <laughs> Yeah, certainly. That's not, I'm not talking. To navigating it. Yeah, you are used to navigating that. Um, absolutely. Um, which also then sort of surprises me when people will say, well, you know, in conversations about um, evangelism or you know, positive public witness, they'll say, well, I don't actually know any non-Christians. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, yes, you do. You just don't know that you know non-Christians. Um, and so it's an interesting, uh, there's just so many interesting conversational threads that we could pull. Let's talk about the moral compass part of the conversation. There is this oh, yes. enduring enduring popularity of the golden rule. Um, And most people are getting their sort of moral compass from their family, which I think is an important part of this conversation generation to generation as well. Yes, the the family number stuck out to me. So we had asked a question that was, um, where's your source for moral guidance? And people were allowed to name several and nearly eight in 10 U.S. adults said they looked to their family. And that's compared to about 63% who say religious teachings, 57% who say a religious uh, leader where you worship. 
And um, I think that although family is not directly tied to religious practice, this would actually be a positive note if you were a faith leader or someone really worried about organized religion, because family can play a very important role in bringing people to faith in raising kids to be excited about um, their spirituality and interested in organized religion. And so I think that we'd have a very different conversation if Oprah or a, a athletic star was the number one source of moral wisdom, but instead it's family and families certainly have the power to talk about um, religion the same way that a religious leader could. And so I, when I saw those numbers, I thought of it as kind of a wake up call for parents, for grandparents, for aunts and uncles that says, hey, young people are looking to you for this guidance. What do you have to offer? Is it something generic about the golden rule or is it something very specific about a faith community that you know and love so you made me think there um about the 20 million children in america who are growing up functionally fatherless they're growing up in a home without the physical presence of a father and if um, if if we are getting our primary moral compass from the household in which we grow up, then we are looking ahead um, a generation from now with people whose compass is going to be formed um, almost entirely in the absence of a dad. I I think that is significant as we look forward to the horizon, and I know that's probably more projection than, you know, you might be prepared to do today. But I, I, I find myself, you know, like imagining when I read the research and I say, oh, people are getting their moral compass from home and home is so great because, you know, home is, is such a wonderful, safe place. And, um, you know, you, you have all this fellowship around a family table and you garden together and you, you know, you go for romps in the park. And that is not the reality for a lot of kids in America. Um, and so we tend to imagine that everyone's experience reflects our own and that's not true. And so the moral compass that kids are getting in their homes is not the one I might be hoping they would be getting. Well, there is additional research that came out, I believe last Thursday, from the Survey Center on American Life at AEI. And it followed the thread of maybe where your mind went when you saw these Deseret Marist poll results. And it said, okay, what type of formation are people getting in their homes? And it highlighted the rise of single parents and just the fact that when someone is raised by a single parent um, there's not as much time for these types of family activities often that really a single parent is juggling all sorts of tasks and so there aren't as many quiet moments to say let's talk about faith let's attend church but in general they said households are really struggling to make time for these more um uh, softer, quieter moments where you sort of walk through um, spiritual activities or religious activities. I I really love what you were saying about families being able to garden together or go to the park together. But the researcher I spoke with from the Survey Center on American Life said that he's worried that even families with, with two parents, families with great support, they don't have the time or take the time for that type of connection anymore. And instead, 
they're always focused on achievement that it's like, let's do this practice ACT. Let's do this like special swim coaching. Like it's all about how do we optimize your time instead of having these, these wonderful loving moments where these, these difficult, but important conversations can take place. And so I really do think that there's a, a crisis of family life taking place where we just don't have these um, important moments together. Okay. You're going to have to give us the tag for that other research. Cause now you've like piqued our interest. Yep. So just Google uh, survey center on American life. And I think it was called something along the lines of Gen Z and faith. So that should be right at the top of the Google results. Cause it just came out. I love that. All right. Yeah. Look at that. AmericanSurveyCenter.org. Okay. So I'm going to follow up on that, Kelsey. It's always um, so great to talk with you. Love the work you're doing at Deseret to read more um, of the research, the underlying research that we discussed today, as well as um, several articles um, unpacking the research um, for us, go to Deseret.com. Kelsey, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Kelsey Dallas. You can also follow her on Twitter and all that she's up to. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I want to I want to read uh, I want to leave a legacy what kind of legacy uh, are we passing on to others the blessings and the benefits and the values and the treasures of this life I mean how am I providing for the moral compass of generations that follow what will my legacy be that might get us thinking about our last will and testament I'm wondering if um, you know you have one of those I, I, I certainly need to update mine um, and I want to start my last will and testament with a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ and in uh, God's grace alone um, as the provision for my salvation, because I really feel like that's the legacy I want to leave. Uh, you know, the stuff is whatever it is. But my confidence in God and life eternal with him in the kingdom of heaven, that's really what um, I would want people to be talking about, celebrating, considering, passing along as my legacy. How about you? What's your legacy? What's the legacy you're cultivating right now? What's the one you want to leave? Last will and testament. You know, as we um, as we walk with Jesus towards Jerusalem, you know, certainly he has last things on his mind. Um, do we have those last things on our mind as well? You can uh, actually join us in reading through the Bible together as we approach Easter. You can sign up for that today at MyFaithRadio.com. Join us um, join us as we consider the last will and testament of Jesus and the legacy uh, of his people today. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.